0: who's reading them to get a, a meaning out of it. And it gives millions of meanings, the book. You know, millions of people have read AA and thrown it away, and millions of people have read AA and found a great way of life. Yeah. So the meaning is a living book. And I believe it really does a, a wonderful this job of describing the, the uh, problem, as you'd say. And yet, when I was uh, first introduced to it, I was reading about the problem as the problem. That was the dilemma. Yes, the problem itself was entertaining ideas about its activities, yeah? with the least with the, the, no no sense of that being so. You know, just, so the problem was studying the problem. <laughs> and then I got introduced to this idea. And I went back to the book, and it was totally a living, new, living book. Every time it mentioned the word self, the small s, yeah, I saw it as a totally. It just downloaded all new information. It triggered like a whole avalanche of new information about self that I had read it hundreds of times and never it's, it never had ignited that. Yeah, and then my whole feeling of the of the program. Changed, and I had no one to help me change it. Yeah, in the program, it just changed as I was entertaining what was happening. I was entertaining it through the frame of AA, and I saw it like in a new light. Yeah, from all the people what they had told me, I saw that not that there's anyone wrong, but something it didn't fit me, and I felt like wow, I like you know this is really this is tastes right. Yeah and so in the way they describe it in recovery is that the root of the problem for an alcoholic or an addict is the activity of mind called obsessing with self. They tend to look at everything as how it pertains to them. It's very self-centered, you know, self is the center. It's self-seeking and frightened. So it's moving but it's afraid what it's moving towards will move away when it gets there, or what it has it will lose. So it lives in a perpetual state of anxiety, and it's agitated, the mind, so it's seeking to get relief. And what you really want to get relief from are the effects of alcoholism. And so when people come into recovery, they think heroin or drinking is the problem. That's But the book points out to us that those are just symptoms of the real problem, which is alcoholism. And then I found that my first solution to alcoholism was drinking. When I drank, I got relief from this mental state of alcoholism. And it is a mental state. It's just a frame within the bigger frame called self-centeredness. It's just another frame called alcoholism. It's one of the more, I'd say, stronger ones here. Yeah, there's a lot of other people who have different frames, but alcoholism is a really nasty one. It, when it has, when it has the mental process, it creates a lot of suffering, exquisite suffering, for for itself and for others who are involved with it. Yeah. It's not a, it's not, it has no discrimination or it hurts. You know? If anyone shows up in your life, that they are going to possibly be hurt badly by alcoholism, yeah. not just you drinking. So it just. It's like projectile vomiting, you know? Well, ever in the room gets hit. <laughs> so so when you come into recovery, and most people never come in here out of volition. You know, they don't decide to come to AA, really. They get forced to. In other words, every square of the game board's been covered, and you've been pushed into a little thing, a little last square, and then suddenly grace occurs, and through conf- through like what happened with me I was just sitting in a caravan yeah with another guy who I didn't know and i had been drinking for four days and I had drunk myself dumb yeah I couldn't put a couple of sentences together it was like a sitcom TV show even simpler than that and I was dumb I was in a haze of ignorance and I was just drinking vodka, Yeah. and I didn't even really like alcohol but I couldn't get drugs I had no more money I had no one who'd lend me money and I didn't have I had no desire to work for any money. So I was drinking. And uh, I was just sitting there, it was like a regular day at the office, no big consequences, no big circumstances. I had been run over by cars, I'd been shot at, nothing like that. I was just drinking, waiting for this guy, hopefully he would have money to come and maybe we could get some drugs. But what happened is I saw this guy and I looked at him and he had a big bulbous nose and varicose veins on his face and I saw him as a bum you know like a bum and for some reason when I saw him looking it looked like he was looking at me like I was a bum and for some reason that stopped the selfing. yeah and something opened up like a portal you know a portal or a hole I would say, to another dimension of mind, other than self-centeredness. I call it grace, really. That's some grace. And um, some information downloaded. And it was like a CNN newsflash. Yeah? No, head, no story, just a headline. And the headline was, I'm screwed. Yeah? It was just like, I'm fucked. And I'd been fucked for quite a while, but it was news to me, literally. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I'm fucked. I mean, everyone who knew me knew I'd been screwed for quite a while, but it was really like it just seemed to happen to me. You know, I'd been my state for years, but it was like, wow, I'm screwed. And I, so the al- alcohol was there, the well, gave vodka, but I didn't pick it up. And I, my mind said, I asked the guy, where is there a phone? because said that, there was no cell phones back then. And he said, there's a phone down outside. So I went there, I had a couple bits of change. And I called a program of recovery that I had spent two years in just ten months before graduated. They had told me that period of my life, was that, though it was rather long, was over. Everything was going to be great, and it didn't pan out that way. I was back to where I'd been, but worse. So I called them up, and I had some humility. I was startled into some submission, and I asked them, can I come back? I wanted to go back to, to the program. And they said, no. They said, you can't come back. Because they'd been getting my newsletter. They had heard about what had happened to me, I think. And I, they said, you can come back in a month and get interviewed again, which means they could say no I yes. So that was, and then some honesty came in, and I said, hey, I don't think I have a month. I don't think I have a month out here left. It's just going to be over physically going I felt terminal something was going to, yeah. so I called up a woman, and I talked her into picking me back up from the city, and in that hour and a half, I recovered from that moment of clarity, I wanted to drink again, and use, but she wouldn't have any of it, and she said, hey, do you want a place to stay tonight, and I did, I was, you know, I, didn't, I was homeless, basically, and I didn't know where I was going to go, be. And I had no money, so she says, You want to a place to stay tonight? And that seemed very attractive to me. I said, Yeah, I do. She says, You've got to go to a recovery meeting. That's the stipulation or the requirement. So I figured, Hey, that's one hour. And I can do that on my head for a night's sleep. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah. So I said, uh, All right, I'll go. And she took me to my first recovery meeting, 1988, March 21st. And I went in there with no intention of launching into a life of sobriety. I just was paying my dues, prostituting myself once again to get someplace to stay, which I'm quite used to prostituting at that time. Doing this and doing that to get something. But while I was in there, something happened. And and what happened was I started to feel different. And it had nothing to do with me feeling different. Something changed, and there was an awareness of it. And I realized over time that that little portal had a, had started a train of circumstances in my life. Yeah, that little five minutes of opening had affected 22 years of living so far. It started right there in just five minutes of having something stopped, something that seemed to be unchangeable, no matter what consequences. The, the disease, the way it had me, was I was willing to pay any consequence now, not to feel. No, I was willing to pay any cof, consequence tomorrow, not to feel uncomfortable now. Yeah. So the the discomfort was paramount to get some relief from. So if I I knew it was going to end me up in jail, I didn't care. I wanted to get loaded now and then deal with it later. Whatever was going to happen so I sat there and she picked me up it was a men's meeting she couldn't come in so she dropped me off and picked me up I went to her house and when I got home I tried to sleep and sort of a miracle happened at night the next morning I woke up and that mental compulsion you know incessant urge to get loaded or really to escape from this unbearable moment which wasn't the moment anyway it was the mental construct of the that I wanted to get out of, which is when you try to get out of that, that's being in it. The fucking The I had no idea of that. So something occurred that next morning, and my first thought in the morning was I didn't have that fear, you know, that clenched fear wanting to go, oh, let's get some relief. I had a thought, and I said, I don't have till 8 o'clock to get to this next meeting. You know, I didn't know anything about AA. And the people said the night before there was another meeting at 8. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to last till 8. So I called up the AA hotline. They told me there was a meeting at 12. And I went there. And I've been going to recovery ever since. And that bondage to the idea, at least one of the major effects of the bondage itself in my life, was broken, the alcoholism. Yeah? That incredible loop of making decisions based on self, setting off chains of circumstances that bring you misfortune, you feel you don't deserve, resentful, make another decision based on self, more trains of circumstances, more misfortune, more resentment, and you need relief in that loop, so you get loaded against all evidence. You know it's insane, but you can't help yourself. You're powerless. You're addicted to that idea of being a self. But over time in AA, doing this program, it what it did for me is it retrieved all of my auctioned-off attention, all of my interest that was in the past, keeping secret secrets, and not dealing and confronting amends I had to make, and all the shit that I had seemed to have done, because in this identification of self, you are the doer. You are the doer of all the actions that ever happened through this apparatus. You believe it was you. Even when they say you were powerless over this thing called alcoholism, you still believe you're the doer of all those behaviors. Yeah. The guilt and shame is quite unbearable. So, by doing the program, that interest and attention, which was all spent in there, you know, past and future, worrying incessantly what was going to happen to me, and then trying not to feel and think about all those shitty shitty things I thought I did. And there were some that I did that there's no way in hell I'd ever be released from that courtroom of my head. I was guilty. That was that. Yes? I didn't give my mother that money when I had it. That was that. There was no if and or buts. I was stamped, you're guilty. So it had to be brought up into a court of light in a sense, to be annulled. It's it's not gonna you're not gonna get probation or anything in this court. You're convicted and you're just gonna suffer. So I practiced AA, then it retrieved my attention and interest. I did the steps, I did the biggest one for me was the ninth step to make amends to people who I had trespassed against in life. And by making amends I was freed from that mental occupation all of those events were taking up in my life, yeah? All of my space was filled with Denying certain events and having to have like a mental security guard watching it so no one would ever find out and it wouldn't come out and it wouldn't leak out into this moment. And then relying on self, which is unreliable, I was in constant fear. And I had lived under its tyranny for years and I know how it treats the host yeah, like a parasite. If I woke up believing I was self, I was scared shit of what the day was going to entail because I usually ended up getting arrested sooner or later. I would go out with the idea I just wanted to have fun, you know, and by 12 o'clock I'd be in the county jail. I'd get out and I'd do the same thing and expect different results. I'd end up in jail again, and it was surprising. How did this happen to me? I did the same thing that got me in jail before, but it was all going over my head, you know, because when you're up the ass of self, When your interest and attention is absorbed in that little black hole, for all intents and purposes, you're unconscious here. Totally unconscious. You're driven by, you're being blown by winds, yeah? Winds of mental states that just use this as a transportation tool, as a way of expressing what they want to express. So, someone who is a lovely little kid is a vicious, rabid junkie, yeah? Because you're neither of them. You've been taken over by something that expresses itself through you. Yes? Called alcoholism. And all the while, everyone who's been taken over by alcoholism keeps calling all of its expressions their expressions. They don't see the root of the dilemma. You're identified as that, which is way past a level of obsession. When the obsession crosses over and you become identified as that, which your mind is obsessed over, that is way, 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 way more comprehensive than obsession. No matter how much I love Coke, I never thought I was cocaine. There was always a sense of separation from Coke. It wasn't like I thought I was cocaine. But I'm thinking I am that, which I'm not. Yes? So identification is unbelievable because, first of all, you never recognize... The identification as an extreme form of obsession you'll recognize some of its other obsessive effects but you won't see the supreme form of obsession is identification as what you're not you can't be more obsessed than that really to be obsessed with something and actually become it in a way that's as far as it goes you ever see those horror movies where the person those a starlet, you know, a movie star, and they start dressing up like them and get a wig like them and trying to go out with the starlet's boyfriends and then realize it's not working, they kill the boyfriends, and then they want to kill the starlet and take over the starlet's position. That's not even close to what identification itself is like. It's way past that, <laughs> really. And most people who are under it don't know it. Because yeah. everything that goes on is it senses it's me that's doing it. So what a perfect hideout for, let's say, a parasitical mental system to take over a host that is like a giant steering wheel. It's so easy to drive us because everything it does to us will say, it's me, I'm mine, 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 mine. You'll never question what's taking you over. And if you don't see its identification, the best you can hope for is, like, say, getting therapy for it, you know? You know? Teaching it to be more behaved, so you don't flip out at the next dinner party. You know, maybe just maybe you'll be lucky enough to have one month rela- relationships with other human beings. You know, I maybe you'll be able to go back to school. Or whatever, you know, there's not like giant high levels of success. It's just basically let's not get arrested this week. That was my idea of success. Really, when I came out of alcoholism, my idea was not to be arrested. That was a successful life. <laughs> You know, we call living on the edge. You know, shooting up and all this shit. But living on the edge is receiving unconditional love. That's unbearable to an alcoholic, because they are so sure that they don't deserve anything. Yes, it's unbearable when someone holds that lovely space for them. Yeah. It's getting run around and getting shot at. Nothing. It's it's really receiving love and recognizing it's okay. You almost want to just implode in a cry, you know? Because your whole life has been keeping that out, just to be right. You're bad. You're bad. Yeah? Uh, And you... So you're like the, the mouth of the cell door. It's a very small mouth. You let very little in, yet you're bitching for a lot. It's very painful. Because you'll bitch and bitch to have something, but when it shows up, you destroy it can't handle it because it's it's causing you to question how right you are. If you feel you're worthless and someone's valuing you, it's unbearable to that Something has to go and it's usually the person, not your old idea. So I started to practice AA with a with a zeal because when I came in I realized what the book described as the problem I had been living it. Yeah. That problem was written, that description of the problem was written in blood, really, in my life. It was so deeply etched, I couldn't believe I had missed it. Yeah. But when I got stepped out and they described what it's like to be an alcoholic, I identified with every freaking description. Every description was my modus operandi up there. So I felt, and so people were saying today, well, why, is, why would you want to call yourself an alcoholic? Well, the fact is, is when you're denying it, yes? When you're denying it, every move you make, the the admittance to your innermost core that you are it neutralizes that, yes? So one extreme goes to the other extreme, and then you're placed in a position of neutrality. But you can't seem to get to the position of neutrality from here. There's got to be a total flip-over, dualistically, yes? And then neutrality can occur. So the alcoholic can't immediately usually go into I'm not that because it's just a mind game to them. They have to go I'm totally that an alcoholic, and then they see that that's not so, and they're put in a position of neutrality. But you can't get there from that one pole. I found yeah. So I just started doing what they said here, and you know that's why when I was talking to that guy yesterday. He has a lot of money, he's got a lot of free time, but he doesn't seem to be too happy. So just do some service for someone else. Instead of working on you so much, just help a stranger, and you'll be amazed what will happen to you. There'll be a sample of being out of self, because your interest will be on them instead of you. Yes? That light that's constantly spotlighting you, even in your great noble endeavor of growing which is just another obsessing itself self will be put on someone else and you'll feel available for a change yeah you'll be there and then if you're available you'll sense the presence that's available only when and where availability is which is what we call now yeah. and that's the most soothing medicine of all a conscious contact as that spirit not an experience yeah not another phenomena but a contact. In other words, the seeing of your day is from there. Not the looking of your day finds a spiritual experience, but the seeing of your day is that spirit. So it's not on the level, for me, it's not on the level of experiences. I don't want experiences. I had a lady that was what they call a light junkie in this group I was in, The Course in Miracles, with this cult I was in. And she was in that society, she was like held in very high esteem because she was getting tons of infusions of light and just going off at every meeting and laughing like crazy and just bright as the sun. And she told, and she'd been doing this for five years, and she said to me, it doesn't mean anything. Save yourself some time. They're just phenomena and experiences. Nothing radically has changed. Yeah? So this, you can't experience yourself into that. You can't think yourself into that. Yeah. And you can't feel yourself into that. To me, I got what I found here, just like when I had what we call a bottom in AA, a real bottom means there is no observer of you being in the bottom. There's no witness of you in the bottom. There's just bottom. It's like you're in a coffin. You're finally admitting how closed off you are. And there's no like someone saying, Oh, you're closed off. No. There's no relief as being an observer or nothing. You finally get caught, yeah, almost, in a sense. There's no way out. And in that way out, everything has the possibility of change. When you admit there's no way out, something finally fucking happens. Until that, you're still managing and still controlling. Yes? So you're caught and bound by your constantly wanting to escape. Every movement of escape is the bondage to self. no fucking idea you know just it's, it's, I told you I've never been a good spiritual practitioner really. I'm not a good meditator whatever that means nothing I've done has done I have never done anything completely except drug addiction I did drug addiction completely I was a perfect devotee of drug addiction and I'll tell you there's no transcendence you can't get out of this place if I could If I could have, I would have, with what I did. I was a devout drug user. Every day, I worshipped one thing and one thing over. I turned my will and my life over that. I had surrendered completely. i have given up all my possessions. I gave up your possessions to that. (laughs) I basically had just surrendered to it, and there was no transcendence. Will any other method work here? There's no escape. And it sounds terrible to the thing that incessantly wants to escape, but it's great news for what you really well, Not even what you really are. It's just great news. Because finally, you'll see, see, your opinion of here is from there. You're listening to theirs take on here. To sense here is the immunity to There. To listen to there, here is what you want to escape from, all the time. But here is the immunity to there. If you're not sensing here, you're at the mercy of there. And here will never be enough. It won't measure up to your mythical idea of the perfect moment, ever. There will always be something lacking. There will always be something else to move towards, something better, more loving, more blissful. It's never-ending. So I wanted every moment to escape from here but the here I wanted to escape from was a mental here. It was made up by past and future, yes? It was made up by a mental realm and the last place I wanted to be was conscious here. I would fucking shoot. One time, we thought we were copying some opium, me and my friend. We went to this heavy metal three-day affair and we met some guy on a bridge. And he sold us this thing that was supposed to be opium. We went back to the apartment. And when we opened it, and we started cooking, it smelled pretty fragrant. Yeah. So then we shot it up. And then we were still talking ourselves into it. Are you feeling it yet? Are you feeling it? Nothing was happening, but we were talking about it. And then one of our girlfriends came in and it says, It smells like incense here. <laughs> yeah? So we went, What? Oh, yeah. Who's burning incense? So the opium was incense. There was no opium. So what happened? We were faced with that evidence, and we, made, we shot it up again. We shot up in, incense with the hopes that it was opium. Even though it has been proven to us it was for incense, we said, after five minutes, nope, we're going to do it again. This isn't fucking insanity. This is an extreme form of wanting to escape. Yes? Now someone may be sitting in a very nice house today and in a very civilized way it looks like they're here but in their minds it's another form of escape Not here because here's the solution a mythical here a mental here made out of there Yes, a moment that's bookended by your ideas of the past and your hopes and ideas about a future that's not here here has no second really There was no there and there's no will be in the here that's here. But the here that's of mind is made up of past and future. Yeah. And it's unbearable. So I want to escape from here. It was so scary to be conscious now when I was out there. I thought this giant, giant wall was going to collapse on me If I was caught without drugs in me, I was fucking petrified of being conscious. Of here. But it wasn't the here that I've always been in. It was a mental presentation of here, made out of there and then. Jesus, I auctioned my whole life to an imaginary idea, in a sense. And of course, I didn't auction it. This was the play of this place. So now I've been in this recovery for 22 years, and... What the hell? I felt like something, I fell upon something that hadn't been offered in the program of recovery. I'd never heard it put this way. And it's now being mixed with Advaita. But I really, truly believe the root of the dilemma is identification of self. It's a verb. It's not something that you were tattooed with 20 years ago and now it's become a noun. It's a verb. It's an act of mental process called selfing that produces an illusion that you are a now that you are the noun that all of life is happening to yeah? instead of feeling life happening through it's seen as it's happening to or for or by or as yes you but it's very rarely felt like it's happening through For some reason my seat assignment has been to going around meeting other people in recovery and sharing this idea you know, with the hopes that maybe they'll travel a little lighter. Because if you have the flu and it's misdiagnosed as a cold, it doesn't matter how much flu medicine you buy, nor how, you, how religiously you take it. The cold and the flu will have, comp- there'll be some. Uh, Similar symptoms, but not all of them will be. So you will get a little relief, but it's not gonna be the relief that's truly offered if the diagnosis was correct. If you spent $300 on cold medicine and you had a cold, you would expect to have some real radical relief if it was working Yet, yeah? So for me, I just believe there's been a misdiagnosis of the problem, obsession with self. I don't think that's the case. I think a mind identify that self to reinforce that obsesses over it. Simple as that. Because it has to keep making it appear to be real. It's not real, so it can't stand on its own. It has to be fabricated every day. And what I believe assists that is the thoughts that are going on in your head. Your daily narrative about life is seen from you. Listening to that is like you have your own hypnotist with you all day. All day, you're just being swooned into unconsciousness. It's like you're out to fucking lunch. It always blows my mind when people go to work, and they spend eight hours there, and then they come home, and at eight o'clock, their mind tells them they had a bad day. I mean, wouldn't you know it was bad when it was batting? I mean, if you were there, I would imagine you would see, hey, it's batting right now. Why is it that we're on like a ten-hour time delay? figure out what's going on. We have to wait for the, the mind to break the news to us. Oh, it was a bad day. Oh, thank you. And then you assume that it was and you call up other people and see how their bad day went. <laughs> and it's like we're fucking passing the disease on. And everyone's yes, you've got the disease. Yeah, you have the disease too. Yes, how's your disease. Oh, you're so special. And, uh, it's like fucking Jesus Christ. Yeah. Sick be getting sick. And then there's unhealed healers running around like fucking crazy. They're not healed but they're attempting to heal you <laughs> Jesus it's insane it's more sickness upon sickness so, I don't know I felt like I just tripped over something somebody introduced to it to, to me and I call it, I like to say it was entertaining it it was like a very strong unspoken yes that's what it felt like yeah something in me that hadn't had much of a voice in my life when it heard this message chirped up it said oh and I hadn't heard it like that in a while. Something like inside is went. So for so some reason it started to entertain it, and as it was entertaining it, things were dawning on it. Yeah, you know? more and more dawning, more and more dawning, and what didn't make sense started making sense, and what wasn't seen started to be seen. Yeah, you know? and then I started realizing that there's no way I could be out of the moment, so why try to be in it? You know? Why do I want another book that tells me how to get into the moment when I can't be out of the moment? And have you ever finished a self-help book? I don't think I have. You always read a few chapters and you go to the next self-help book. <laughs> Let's see. But These books about getting into the moment. That's ridiculous. It's just reaffirming the, the lie that you can be out of the moment. And that's the mental realm. The mental realm is entertaining impossibilities that you can be out of the moment that something different could have happened in the past. Yes? And then speculating like a crazy fucking weatherman what it's going to be like for you in the future. You know, it's always stormy weather. So even if you're having a really nice day, you can't enjoy it because you're worried tomorrow probably won't be as nice. Yes? Jeez, it's incredible. I entertained it, and I'll tell you, if if you've ever been a junkie, junkies are very pragmatic, you know, when I shot up, I wanted to get something, (laughs) I wanted a bang, it was very simple, very direct communication, (laughs) big sensation, alright, I understand that, yeah, (laughs) I don't like these promises of, well, if you purify yourself in lifetimes and something like that, I want relief now, yeah, and I don't want to have to do much for it, yeah, And this is a beautiful message because it just tells me I'm not that which is seeking for something. And so a relaxation can come over me. And I find relaxing or surrendering from the the path is the true path in a sense. The path that does not have one step, that has no marks, there's no imprints, there's no impressions. You're always prior to anything that's arising always there's never one time that something arises before you not once ever whatever is arising is in front of you you're seeing it whatever arises is in front of you front of you you are seeing it nothing happens that way you are that blatant scene it's not an effort for it it's its nature it's not a doing and it's not a having. It's just a being. Awareness is being awareness seen. yeah here. We call it being, but to me it's the being of seeing. yeah When I feel good, it's being seen. When I feel bad, it's been seen. Every freaking thought I've ever entertained was seen. Every sensation that happened through the body was seen. Before it was dissected and t- interpreted dualistically, separated, all of that activity was seen. Nothing came before the table that's laid on. That's worked, and that's that. What else are you gonna do? Take eight more hours of retreats? What's the point? Fun in the pool, anyway. Fucking fun. Has anything changed? Has any meeting you've ever gone to? Was there no seeing before you came, and then suddenly there was a seeing, and then there may have been an experience of seeing when you're in the meeting? But there's always been seeing. Yeah. Before you went to the meeting, during the meeting, after meeting, it's fine because this is written out. If you're if you go to meetings, you go to meetings. Yeah that's the nature it's like here this is just a whole set of impressions that get imprinted on a screen of time and space and it's called a life of this action figure. Yeah. the conditionings where you came from your DNA all this stuff creates impressions and those impressions get placed against the paper of time and space here and they leave a mark and that's your life have kids? You don't have kids. You have money? You don't have money. They're all just impressions, mental impressions imprinting themselves on a screen. But all of that is 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 follows the scene, and none of that affects the scene. The most heinous act that you seem to have ever committed has left no impression on scene. The scene didn't blink when you didn't pay your mother the money when you had it. It didn't. It didn't go oh he's crossed the line now (laughs) oh this this is no good at no it's living up to its nature which is to see what it doesn't matter whatever arises but whatever arises doesn't affect what's seeing it yeah how could it if it had an effect on what's seeing it that wouldn't be seeing. that would be looking it would be, a, it would be a, a conditional seeing, looking. This is seeing. It's not affected by circumstances and situations. It just sees it. Yeah. And that act of seeing, to me, is my is the life that I am. I can't say it's anything a life, because that would make it a noun. It's a verb. Yeah. Every moment, it's just seeing. I can't entertain any point where it didn't. See, since I appeared as the piece on the Monopoly board, you know, the boot, or whatever, the Eiffel Tower, I have to see, in hindsight, all that's always been seen, prior to every event and everything that ever happened that I call my life, it was in the context of seeing, which is my real mother and father. Is it this life, this content, or is it the context that's hold it, held it all? To me, the context is unconditional love, in a sense, because it has no opinion. Whatever arises, it sees it. Nothing it sees ever made it close its eyes, (laughs) never made it turn away, never made it blink. (laughs) That's really bad. It just sees. Can you imagine relying on that? Well, when and how do you rely on it? See it. Be seeing it. Be part of that. You're the verb. You're not a noun. The noun wants to have the verb. Once a noun has a verb, it ain't a verb anymore. It's made into a noun, isn't it? The truth Enlightenment. Wakening up. Whatever. As soon as this noun claims it, it becomes a noun. And the verb is lost. You can't acknowledge a, na- a verb as a noun. You don't get it. There's no way a noun can sense the movement and really sense and see the movement of verbing because it's a noun. It's a structured, conceptual little honeycomb. Every time it senses the wind, it feels it senses the wind as the wall. Yeah, It doesn't sense the wind as the wind. When wind's blowing through the, the beehive, all the walls think the wind's hitting that. That's not it. There's wind, but it's interpreting it wrong in a sense. Yeah. You know that wind. So, like in AA, we did this stuff called service to get out of this self. Yeah, it's a nice free sample. And at times, I would do it, and how I describe it is: there you are in that self things and then you would put some interest on someone else, yeah. and that would bring you out of that self thing, and you'd feel available. Usually, people would describe it as I felt big, you know, spacious or light. It's just availability. That's what availability is like. Yeah. When the noun is 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 de and the verb shines through. Yeah. And then, it, when I was when that availability was so, I sensed the presence. How can you not? Yeah? And then, what it has occurred a lot of times? This would regroup. And I would look at that as an experience I had. I had this experience of being available to this newcomer, and I felt the the presence of a higher power when I was doing that. But after hundreds of times of this, more than hundreds of times, and this could change your attitude like that in five minutes. You could have a huge story going on and do some service, and in less than ten minutes, gratitude would arise. It was an incredible antidote, but it was still being misread. And at one point, I had that. Did some service, sensed the availability, sensed the presence, and there was a recognition. Ah, I'm not, in a sense. By saying, I'm not this. Yeah? I'm the, I'm that presence that was being seen as a destination for the self that I'm not. Yeah? Then what happens is, instead of being self that's closed down and having to do something to get available and having to do something that maybe feel a presence. You're now the presence that makes you always available and you're of service. That's the nature of presence. It's of service because it's available. And really that's all we're looking for. When you look at someone and you're holding the space for them to be everything that they're not, that's availability. And there's a presence there. And it has nothing to do with your little voice box. Oh, I'm being present, nothing. It seems to be really against your will most of the time. You're totally being overridden by something. <laughs> and then there's usually just, either you resist it like crazy, or you give up. You just say, fuck it. You know, basically. I'm yours in a sense, whatever. It doesn't have to be joyous. You know what I mean? It's all right. I got it. Isn't a different state, yeah? If if you're that presence, it's a totally different state than having an experience of presence. It it becomes consistent. It ta- it's taken out of time and it's taken out of doing and having. And what, in other words, it's always available at all times because it's always available in no time. Yeah? totally different than an experience. Many minds rather have an experience of presence than to actually sense the presence as where they come from I'm telling you because it's more it's more special to have an experience of it you'll feel like you're really special when if you have a big hit of presence it'll be feel like you've been lifted up you have been lifted up to a height unknown by any other person who's not as special as you yeah it's incredible but just presence is like dog shit presence it's nothing special It's just being on all the time. But you get weaned off of the addiction to experiences and phenomena. You lose interest in it. You don't really care that advertising that you've missed out on something is pointless. (laughs) It's like, I've never missed out on anything. Yeah, All that seeking and all that activity gets very tamed. Because you just sense what you're really looking for in all that activity. You sense satisfaction instead of the search for satisfaction. You sense satisfaction. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you want to say, oh, you need a spiritual truth and everything, all you need is to feel satisfied. If you'll feel satisfied, a lot of, quote-unquote, your behavior will change. Because most of it's based on irritability, restlessness, and discontent. You're just not fucking satisfied here really I mean you can get into all the metaphysical descriptions you're just not happy (laughs) you know you've tried every formula they offer here and it hasn't worked out for you and all you can do is go back and try them again and replace a certain person with a different person but it's the same formula same being saved and it's always going to fail you and then hopefully you know you left out of here and basically why my mind's chilled out is because I'm happy there's no big metaphysical answer I don't, I'm really here because I don't want to be anywhere else, seriously. Yeah? The mind keeps presenting options, but I don't want to go on those vacations because they turn into hell. Yeah. Yeah, it's so nice. Just a starting point's nice is that idea of being a long lasting independent separate entity. Because I believe really that is the main frame of these mental states we can entertain. They're all all the mental states we can entertain as a self is framed by self centeredness. I really truly believe it's a limited system. It's a very small lens. And you can open up to other modalities that are much, uh, are many, many, many more possibilities available. Yes? Many more, uh, yeah, possibilities. Not, I will be okay, but there's a sense of okay- okayness now, yeah. And it's not based on what you did or didn't do, so you can't lose it because you never had it. Yes. It's not something that you acquired by any doing, therefore, it it neuters or freezes the idea that whatever I have, I can entertain, I can lose, because I have it, yeah? It takes that right out. You don't have it, therefore, you can't lose it. The whole dualistic system of mind, it short circuits, yeah? And truly, the greatest to me, short circuit, is I'm not that. It takes it totally out of the dualistic thing of I'm not there that, that therefore I am no don't even go there I'm not that that's it that to me is the act of what I am seeing seeing what's arising what's arising I'm not obviously so the conclusion in the seeing is I'm not that where do you have to go to be what you are that's what you are the seeing of I'm not that And it's a verb, so you can't settle in on it. You can't lay your head on it. You can't move in and call it yours. You can't privatize it. You can't own it. You can't fucking teach it. All you can do is maybe point it out. Even that's clumsy. My feeling, even in my small little seat assignment... It was a terrible career choice because I'm I'm meant to become obsolete, really. There's no point for me in this job because if I'm successful, you won't come back. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Unless you like me, that's fine, but you won't need anything. So, so. Not like a mental authority. But you recognize blue is blue and red is red. So do you need any more someone to sort of, you know, confirm that seeing? You see it, yeah? To me, that's confirmation enough. It's the seeing of it. Yeah. It's not the emphasis on the red, it's the seeing. The seeing you can be sure of. It's always the context of every event you've been in. Been seen. Yeah? But not by you. You have been seen just like that chair has been seen in the event. You have been seen by seeing. This object has been noted by seeing. In a sense, this object is meditated by the seeing. Yeah? By the seeing occurring through it is to me the highest form of meditation. Because that seeing is constantly prior to even breathing. That's the seeing. And it's not a dualistic movement. It's not an inhale exhale. It's totally on without any deviation. It's always so. So it's hard to recognize you. So the best cook is when is the they decide to not give you that much. You know. They turn off the oven and let it cook. You don't need it anymore. You know. To go over and over and over again You <laughs> dry out the Thank <laughs>